Chapter sixty of Orley Farm by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leonard Wilson. Chapter sixty. What Rebecca did for her son. Every day Mrs. Orme went up to Orley Farm and sat for two hours with Lady Mason. We may say that there was now no longer any secret between them, and that she whose life had been so innocent so pure and so good could look into the inmost heart and soul of that other woman whose career had been supported by the proceeds of one terrible lifelong iniquity and now by degrees lady mason would begin to plead for herself or rather to put in a plea for the deed she had done acknowledging however that she the doer of it had fallen almost below forgiveness through the crime was he not his son as much as that other one and had i not deserved of him that he should do this thing for me and again never once did i ask of him any favour for myself from the day that i gave myself to him because he had been good to my father and mother up to the very hour of his death i never asked him to spend a shilling on my own account but i asked him to do this thing for his child and when at last he refused me i told him that i myself would cause it to be done you told him so i did and i think that he believed me he knew that i was the one who would act up to my word i told him that orley farm should belong to our babe and what did he say he bade me beware of my soul my answer was very terrible and i will not shock you with it ah me it is easy to talk of repentance but repentance will not come with a word in these days mrs orme became gradually aware that hitherto she had comprehended but little of lady mason's character there was a power of endurance about her and a courage that was almost awful to the mind of the weaker softer and better woman lady mason during her sojourn at the cleeve had seemed almost to sink under her misfortune nor had there been any hypocrisy any pretence in her apparent misery she had been very wretched as wretched a human creature we may say as any crawling god's earth at that time but she had borne her load and bearing it had gone about her work still striving with desperate courage as the ground on which she trod continued to give way beneath her feet inch by inch they had known and pitied her misery they had loved her for misery as it is in the nature of such people to do but they had little known how great had been the cause for it they had sympathized with the female weakness which had succumbed when there was hardly any necessity for succumbing had they then known all they would have wondered at the strength which made a struggle possible under such circumstances even now she would not yield i have said that there had been no hypocrisy in her misery during those weeks last past and i have said so truly but there had perhaps been some pretences some acting of a part some almost necessary pretence as to her weakness was she not bound to account to those around her for her great sorrow and was it not above all things needful that she should enlist their sympathy and obtain their aid she had been obliged to cry to them for help 
though obliged also to confess that there was little reason for such crying i am a woman and weak she had said and therefore cannot walk alone now that the way is stony but what had been the truth with her how would she have cried had it been possible for her to utter the sharp cry of her heart the waters had been closing over her head and she had clutched at a hand to save her but the owner of that hand might not know how imminent how close was the danger but in these days as she sat in her own room with mrs orme the owner of that hand might know everything the secret had been told and there was no longer need for pretence as she could now expose to view the whole load of her wretchedness so also could she make known the strength that was still left for endurance and these two women who had become endeared to each other under such terrible circumstances came together at these meetings with more of the equality of friendship than had ever existed at the cleave it may seem strange that it should be so strange that the acknowledged forger of her husband's will should be able to maintain a better claim for equal friendship than the lady who was believed to be innocent and true but it was so now she stood on true ground now as she sat there with mrs orme she could speak from her heart pouring forth the real workings of her mind from mrs orme she had no longer aught to fear nor from sir peregrine everything was known to them and she could now tell of every incident of her crime with an outspoken boldness that in itself was incompatible with the humble bearing of an inferior in the presence of one above her and she did still hope the one point to be gained was this that her son her only son the child on whose behalf this crime had been committed should never know her shame or live to be disgraced by her guilt if she could be punished she would say and he left in ignorance of her punishment she would not care what indignities they might heap upon her she had heard of penal servitude of years terribly long passed in all the misery of vile companionship of solitary confinement and the dull madness which it engenders of all the terrors of a life spent under circumstances bearable only by the uneducated the rude and the vile but all this was as nothing to her compared with the loss of honour to her son i should live she would say but he would die you cannot ask me to become his murderer it was on this point that they differed always mrs orme would have had her confess everything to lucius and strove to make her understand that if he were so told the blow would fall less heavily than it would do if the knowledge came to him from her conviction at the trial but the mother would not bring herself to believe that it was absolutely necessary that he should ever know it there was the property yes but let the trial come and if she were acquitted then let some arrangement be made about that the lawyers might find out some cause why it should be surrendered but mrs orme feared that if the trial were over and the criminal saved from justice the property would not be surrendered and then how would that wish of repentance be possible after all was not that the one thing necessary 
I will not say that Mrs. Orme in these days ever regretted that her sympathy and friendship had been thus bestowed, but she frequently acknowledged to herself that the position was too difficult for her. There was no one whose assistance she could ask, for she felt that she could not in this matter ask counsel from Sir Peregrine. She herself was good and pure and straight-minded, and simple in her perception of right and wrong. But Lady Mason was greater than she in force of character, a stronger woman in every way, endowed with more force of will, with more power of mind, with greater energy and a swifter flow of words. Sometimes she almost thought it would be better that she should stay away from Orley Farm. But then she had promised to be true to her wretched friend, and the mother's solicitude for her son still softened the mother's heart. In these days, till the evening came, Lucius Mason never made his way into his mother's sitting-room, which indeed was the drawing-room of the house, and he and Mrs. Orme, as a rule, hardly ever met each other. If he saw her as she entered or left the place, he would lift his hat to her and pass by without speaking. He was not admitted to those counsels of his mother's, and would not submit to ask after his mother's welfare, or to inquire as to her affairs from a stranger. On no other subject was it possible that he should now speak to the daily visitor and the only visitor at Orley Farm. All this Mrs. Orme understood, and saw that the young man was alone and comfortless. He passed his hours below in his own room, and twice a day his mother found him in the parlour, and then they sat through their silent, miserable meals. She would then leave him, always saying some soft words of motherly love, and putting her hand either upon his shoulder or his arm. On such occasions he was never rough to her, but he would never respond to her caress. She had ill-treated him, preferring in her trouble the assistance of a stranger to his assistance. She would ask him neither for his money nor his counsel, and as she had thus chosen to stand aloof from him, he also would stand aloof from her. Not for always, as he said to himself over and over again, for his heart misgave him when he saw the lines of care so plainly written on his mother's brow. Not for always should it be so. The day of the trial would soon be present, and the day of the trial would soon be over. Then again would they be friends. Poor young man! unfortunate young man. Mrs. Orme saw all this, and to her it was very terrible. What would be the world to her if her boy should frown at her and look black when she caressed him? And she thought that it was the fault of the mother rather than of the son, as indeed was not all that wretchedness the mother's fault. But then again there was the one great difficulty. How could any step be taken in the right direction? till the whole truth had been confessed to him. The two women were sitting together in that upstairs room, and the day of the trial was now not a full week distant from them, when Mrs. Orme again tried to persuade the mother to entrust her son with the burden of all her misery. On the preceding day Mr. Solomon Aram had been down at Orley Farm, and had been with Lady Mason for an hour. He knows the truth, Lady Mason had said to her friend. I am sure of that. But did he ask you? Oh, no, he did not ask me that. 
he asked of little things that happened at the time but from his manner i am sure he knows it all he says that i shall escape did he say escape no not that word but it was the same thing he spoke to lucius for i saw them on the lawn together you do not know what he said to him no for lucius would not speak to me and i could not ask him and then they both were silent for mrs orme was thinking how she could bring about that matter that was so near her heart lady mason was seated in a large old-fashioned armchair in which she now passed nearly all her time the table was by her side but she rarely turned herself to it she sat leaning with her elbow on her arm supporting her face with her hand and opposite to her so close that she might look into her face and watch every movement of her eyes sat mrs orme intent upon that one thing that the woman before her should be brought to repent the evil she had done and you have not spoken to lucius no she answered no more than i have told you what could i say to him about the man not about mr aram it might not be necessary to speak of him he has his work to do and i suppose that he must do it in his own way yes he must do it in his own way lucius would not understand unless you told him everything of course he could not understand that is impossible no lady mason it is not impossible dear lady mason do not turn from me in that way it is for your sake because i love you that i press you to do this if he knew it all could you tell your son such a tale said lady mason turning upon her sharply and speaking almost with an air of anger mrs orme was for a moment silenced for she could not at once bring herself to conceive it possible that she could be so circumstanced but at last she answered yes she said i think i could if and then she paused if you had done such a deed ah you do not know for the doing of it would be impossible to you you can never understand what was my childhood and how my young years were passed i never loved anything but him that is till i knew you and-and-but instead of finishing her sentence she pointed down towards the cleave how then can i tell him mrs orme i would let them pull me to pieces bit by bit if in that way i could save him not in that way said mrs orme not in that way but lady mason went on pouring forth the pent-up feelings of her bosom not regarding the faint words of her companion till he lay in my arms i had loved nothing from my earliest years i had been taught to love money wealth and property but as to myself the teachings had never come home to me when they bade me marry the old man because he was rich i obeyed them not caring for his riches but knowing that it behooved me to relieve them of the burden of my support he was kinder to me than they had been and i did for him the best i could but his money and his wealth were little to me he told me over and over again that when he died i should have the means to live and that was enough i would not pretend to him that i cared for the grandeur of his children who despised me but then came my baby and the world was all altered for me 
what could i do for the only thing that i had ever called my own money and riches they had told me were everything but they had told you wrong said mrs orme as she wiped the tears from her eyes they had told me falsely i had heard nothing but falsehoods from my youth upwards she answered fiercely for myself i had not cared for these things but why should not he have money and riches and land his father had them to give over and above what had already made those sons and daughters so rich and proud why should not this other child also be his father's heir was he not as well born as they was he not as fair a child what did rebecca do mrs orme did she not do worse and did it not all go well with her why should my boy be an ishmael why should i be treated as the bondwoman and see my little one perish of thirst in this world's wilderness no saviour had lived and died for the world in those days said mrs orme and no saviour had lived and died for me said the wretched woman almost shrieking in her despair the lines of her face were terrible to be seen as she thus spoke and an agony of anguish loaded her brow upon which mrs orme was frightened to look she fell on her knees before the wretched woman and taking her by both her hands strove all she could to find some comfort for her ah do not say so do not say that whatever may come that misery that worst of miseries need not oppress you if that indeed were true it was true and how should it be otherwise but now now it need not be true now lady mason for your soul's sake say that it is so now mrs orme she said speaking with a singular quiescence of tone after the violence of her last words it seems to me that i care more for his soul than for my own for myself i can bear even that but if he were a castaway i will not attempt to report the words that passed between them for the next half hour for they concerned a matter which i may not dare to handle too closely in such pages as these but mrs orme still knelt there at her feet pressing lady mason's hands pressing against her knees as with all the eagerness of true affection she endeavoured to bring her to a frame of mind that would admit of some comfort but it all ended in this let everything be told to lucius so that the first step back to honesty might be taken and then let them trust to him whose mercy can ever temper the wind to the shorn lamb but as lady mason had once said to herself repentance will not come with a word i cannot tell him she said at last it is a thing impossible i should die at his feet before the words were spoken i will do it for you said mrs orme offering from pure charity to take upon herself a task perhaps as heavy as any that a human creature could perform i will tell him no no screamed lady mason taking mrs orme by both her arms as she spoke you will not do so say that you will not remember your promise to me remember why it is that you know it all yourself i will not surely unless you bid me said mrs orme no no i do not bid you mind i do not bid you i will not have it done better anything than that while it may yet be avoided i have your promise have i not oh yes of course i should not do it unless you told me 
and then after some further short stay during which but little was said mrs orme got up to go you will come to me to-morrow said lady mason yes certainly said mrs orme because i feared that i had offended you oh no i will take no offence from you you should not for you know what i have to bear you know and no one else knows sir peregrine does not know he cannot understand but you know and understand it all and mrs orme what you do now will be counted to you for great treasure for very great treasure you are better than the samaritan for he went on his way but you will stay till the last yes i know you will stay and the poor creature kissed her only friend kissed her hands and her forehead and her breast then mrs orme went without speaking for her heart was full and the words would not come to her but as she went she said to herself that she would stay till the last standing alone on the steps before the front door she found lucius mason all alone and some feeling moved her to speak a word to him as she passed i hope all this does not trouble you much mr mason she said offering her hand to him she felt that her words were hypocritical as she was speaking them but under such circumstances what else could she say to him well mrs orme such an episode in one's family history does give one some trouble i am unhappy very unhappy but not too much so to thank you for your most unusual kindness to my poor mother and then having been so far encouraged by her speaking to him he accompanied her round the house on to the lawn from whence a path led away through a shrubbery on to the road which would take her by the village of cold harbour to the cleave mr mason she said as they walked for a few steps together before the house do not suppose that i presume to interfere between you and your mother oh, you have a right to interfere now he said but i think you might comfort her if you would be more with her would it not be better if you could talk freely together about all this it would be better he said but i fear that that is no longer possible when this trial is over and the world knows that she is innocent when people shall see how cruelly she has been used mrs orme might not tell the truth to him but she could with difficulty bear to hear him dwell thus confidently on hopes which were so false the future is in the hands of god mr mason but for the present the present and the future are both in his hands mrs orme i know my mother's innocence and would have done a son's part towards establishing it but she would not allow me all this will soon be over now and then i trust she and i will once again understand each other till then i doubt whether i shall be wise to interfere good morning mrs orme and pray believe that i appreciate at its full worth all that you are doing for her then he again lifted his hat and left her lady mason from her window saw them as they walked together and her heart for a moment misgave her could it be that her friend was treacherous to her was it possible that even now she was telling everything that she had sworn that she would not tell why were they two together seeing that they passed each other day by day without intercourse and so she watched with anxious eyes till they parted and then she saw that lucius stood idly on the terrace swinging his stick as he looked down the hill towards the orchard below him 
he would not have stood thus calmly had he already heard his mother's shame this she knew and having laid aside her immediate fears she retreated back to her chair no she would not tell him at any rate till the trial should be over end of chapter sixty of orley farm by anthony trollope recording by leonard wilson of springfield ohio